Good morning. Great to see you guys today. Hey, I want you to write down this date. You ready? You got a pen, pencil, iPhone? Write down September 21 and 22. September 21 and 22. For the last several years, we've had celebration uh, weekends, the weekend after Easter, the weekend before Thanksgiving, and during the summer when everyone's on vacation. So we decided to change things up a little bit this coming year. Shake things up. We're going to have a kickoff celebration in September. We're going to have a kickoff the New Year celebration in January. And then we're going to have one kind of in uh, May-ish to be able to kind of celebrate the end of the school year. So here's what we're going to do differently. In the Old Testament, the uh, worshipers would go to Jerusalem three times a year, and they would have fun, and they would eat, and they would celebrate, and they would worship. So using that pattern of three times a year, we're going to ask you to commit three weekends a year to come and have fun and celebrate and fellowship and worship. On Saturday evenings, we're going to all come here. All of our campuses are going to be invited here to the South Hills. We're going to have a time of fun for the kids. There'll be stuff outside. There'll be food trucks. I love food trucks. There'll be food trucks here. And there'll be all kinds of things you can do as a family. And then we're going to come in and we're going to have our night. Remember the nights of worship we used to do? Nights of worship right here together, all of our campuses together. If this, this venue gets too small, we'll look for another one. But we're excited about that. We'll also be able to welcome all our new members across the campuses together. And we'll be able to commission our mission trips that go out from all the campuses. So that's going to be Saturday night, the whole church together. That's September the 21st. Then on September the 22nd, on Sunday, we're back at all of our campuses and we're celebrating baptisms and child dedications and 25 and 50 year anniversaries and all the things that we do as a family. That makes sense? So all together on Saturday, September 21st, and then back to our campuses for celebration, September 22nd. You got it? Are you in? Okay. Well, good. Convincing. <laughs> Very convincing. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for our day. We can talk about celebration and we talk about all these things in our life, but Lord, uh, yeah, we all go through stuff. And uh, there are times we need, we need to be reminded to celebrate, to have fun, to fellowship together, to worship you together. And when we come, Lord, together, there are people going through a lot of challenging times, hurting and uh, devastated by things going on in their life. And Lord, this we know for certain. Only you, only you can meet the need of each heart. And so, Father, I pray that you would do that today. You are sovereign, and you have us here, and you have you, uh, your word, this passage we're going to look at. I pray that you would use it, Lord, to meet the need of each heart. Only you can do that. So do your work, Father, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. All right, I want to start by asking some questions. I'm going to direct the first question. It's a broad group. 
If you're here, you're an elementary student, if you're in junior high, high school, if you're a young adult, college student, let me ask you this question. So, so uh, we're talking, uh, we meet after church, and we're talking, I'm asking how school goes, and how you're rating life, and all this stuff, and how your semester went. And in the conversation, I don't know, I don't know how this comes up, but in the conversation, you say, I got to tell you, my mom and dad are pretty cool. I love my mom and dad. And I say, prove it. What do you do practically to demonstrate your love for your mom and dad? How do you show it? So you're a, a young adult and, you know, you're thinking about getting married and you come to me and you say, man, how, what's the process of marriage here at the Bible shop? I mean, what's that look like? I go online and I got to apply and all this stuff. What does it look like here? I got to tell you, man, we are madly in love with each other and I say, prove it. What do you do to show your mad love for each other? You're married, and we're having a talk. And uh, in that talk, you say, I got to tell you, man, I love my wife. I love my husband. And I would say, what? Prove it. What do you do? that allows your husband no questions or your wife no questions about your love. You say, you know what, man, I, 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 uh, I got to tell you, I don't know many things in life, but I know this, I love my kids. I love my kids. And I would say, what? Prove it. Having them involved in every activity under the sun is not a proof. How do you demonstrate that? How do you show them? Jesus said this in uh, John chapter 13, this amazing statement. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. Now check this out. By this, all people will know you are my disciples, if you what? Love one another. So you say, I'm a believer, man. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I just sang a bunch of songs about my love for him. I sang the Revelation song. That gets me every time. Who is worthy? Jesus is worthy. I love him. And I would say what? Prove it. What are you doing in your life to demonstrate, no doubts, your love for Jesus? Because you know what? By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you what? If you prove it. By your love to one another. In today's passage, John challenges us in black and white, as is his style. John leaves no wiggle room, no time for debate. John looks every believer right in the eye. He doesn't blink. He doesn't back down. He doesn't apologize. He said, you're a child of God, right? Then what? Prove it. John chapter 3, 
verses 11 through 18. That's our passage today. Take your Bibles and turn with me to there. John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, 11 through 18. Uh, we're going to get back into John. Dave Donato did a fantastic job with 2nd and 3rd John. It's a privilege to be able to partner with him in preaching. And uh, he did that uh, throughout the month of May. We had been looking at 1 John. Now we're back into 1 John. John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. And John chapter 3, 11 establishes the theme for today's message. John says in chapter 3, verse 11, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. Here's the message you've heard since the beginning of your Christian life. When you were just getting re- taking little baby steps spiritually, you have heard this from the very beginning. What? Love one another that you should love one another. Now, it's interesting because John takes this command and he ties it into the essence of God himself. He's saying this ain't fluff. This isn't just talk. This love for one another is tied into the essence of God himself. Chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, we'll look at this more in depth when we get there, but today, chapter 4, 7 and 8, beloved, remember John's an old man now, he's in his 70s or 80s when the life expectancy was about 50, he is an elder statesman at the church, so he can say beloved and he can say little children and he can talk to people like that because he is gained that respect and that dignity, beloved, let us, what? Love one another. For love, here's a kicker, love is from God. Love's not something we conjure up on our own. True love, real love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God. John, that's pretty black and white. Whoever loves has been born of God because true love is from God. And that person has been born of God and knows God. That person who loves Anyone who does not know God does not love. And who does not love does not know God. If a person is not demonstrating love, they don't know God. And why is that, John? Well, I'll tell you, John says, because God is love. That's his essence. If he is living in you, you're going to be demonstrating what love looks like. You're going to be loving one Another. So John does three things in this passage today as we work through it. First, he gives us the theme, love one another. And then he says, I want to tell you what love looks like, and I want to tell you what love doesn't look like. Let's get practical. Let's really see what love looks like and what it feels like and what it doesn't look like and what it doesn't feel like. He starts with the negative example. Look at verse 12. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one. Cain, who, he's saying, who followed after the evil one, who followed after Satan, who took Satan's lead. Doesn't mean Cain was demon-possessed. At that moment, Cain followed after the lead of Satan's temptation, and he murdered his brother. Why did he do that? Because his deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So John takes us back when there was a community of four people, 
Adam and Eve, and the oldest son, Cain, and the next son, Abel. And he takes us back to Genesis chapter 4, and he says, you remember the story. John's writing to people who know their Old Testament. You know the story. Cain, Abel rather, brought his gift to God, and Cain brought his gift to God, and Abel's gift was pleasing to God. It was acceptable to God. Cain brought his, and it was not acceptable. It had nothing to do with the substance of the gift. It had everything to do with the state of the heart. And Cain was angry, and he was upset. It showed on his face. His face was downcast. God came to him and said, Cain, why is your face downcast? What's the problem? God said, Cain, sin is crouching at your door like a hungry lion ready to devour you, but you don't have to let it devour you. You can depend on me. You can bring a gift that's pleasing to me. Your heart wasn't in the right spot. You can take, you can get your heart in the right spot. You can bring the right gift, and everything's going to be good, Cain. But Cain didn't listen to God, did he? And he murdered his brother. By the way, that word murder there means to slaughter. It means to butcher Literally, it means to cut one's throat. And Cain killed his brother Abel. Here's what's interesting. John uses that story. We'll drill down on it a little bit more in a minute, but John uses that story to make a point. Look at verse 13. What, what was the only thing Abel did? He just pleased God, right? <laughs> Abel just pleased God. And Cain killed him for it. So John says in 13, don't be surprised, believers, that the world hates you. The only thing Abel did was please God and he got killed for it. Don't be surprised if the world hates you, the world here is not one person or the other person. The world here is the entire system that opposes God, led by Satan himself. Satan hates God. Satan opposes God. Satan, the prince of the world, will make sure that the world is a very uncomfortable place for the believer to live. That started back in Genesis chapter 4. So John says, you don't have to have Facebook conversations about, oh my goodness, isn't it difficult? What's going on in the world? I can't believe the world's going to pot. I can't believe all these things going on. John says, don't spend your time worrying about that. Satan is in control of that. The world is going to oppose believers. If you obey God, the world's going to oppose you. Now, why did Cain kill Abel? That's the question John asks, and he says one thing, because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Look at verse 14, the end of verse 14. John takes this, he extrapolates on it. He says, then, whoever does not love, so Cain is an example of not loving, pretty clear example, Whoever does not love abides in death. He lives in the realm of spiritual death. He will die in the realm of spiritual death if he stays there. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, 
and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that a murderer does not have eternal life living in them. By the way, have you ever been angry at anyone? I have. Don't answer this one. Have you been so angry at someone you wished them dead? Yeah. Does that mean, as a believer, these emotions won't come sometime? doesn't mean that. What John is saying here is the person who hates his brother, hates is ongoing, hates the pattern of their life. That's who they are. Anger is the ongoing emotion of their life. Hate is the ongoing emotion of their life. Jealousy is the ongoing emotion of their life. So a couple questions just to clear this up. First, does this mean that a true believer, let's just go to the extreme, forget jealousy and hatred and all that. Does that mean that a true believer cannot commit murder? What do you think? Can a true believer commit murder? The answer is yes. David did. David did. The man after God's own heart. Does that mean murder can never be forgiven? Is that the unpardonable sin? No. David committed murder and God forgave him and and, and restored him. Psalm 51 is his prayer of repentance. Does that mean that an unbeliever who commits murder can never become a Christian? No. Jesus died for all our sins. John here is just showing what love is not. He's showing that no person whose heart is continually filled with jealousy or anger or hatred, that person cannot have the love of God in them. We're not talking about one-offs here. We're talking about someone who continually has that. You remember Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? He said, you don't have to, you don't have to commit physical adultery to commit spiritual adultery if you have lust in your heart toward another woman, another man, if you're a woman, right? The same way, he says, you don't have to kill someone with your hands to commit spiritual murder in your heart. Let's think about what, will, what are some of the things that would drive us to murder. Okay, so let's just put murder here as the, as the ultimate, right? We would say that's, that's the ultimate. But what emotions did Cain have, do we have, that would drive us to that point? Well, Abel presented a great gift to God, and God didn't accept Cain's gift, so there was jealousy. Anyone ever experienced the emotion of jealousy? How about, um, how about bitterness? How about resentment? It's getting quiet. You'd think I was talking about money or something up here. (laughs) Jealousy, bitterness, resentment, um, anger. 
There's another one. Hatred. Do believers have those things? Yeah. Here's the kicker. Here's the difference. When those emotions come into the life of a believer, God, who lives within us through his spirit, convicts us of our sin. And we say, I am guilty. I have remorse for that. I really don't, I really don't want to do that. I don't want to live like that. And we repent of our sin. Remember 1 John 1, 9, when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we repent of our sin. And we say, God, cleanse me because I don't, I don't want to live like that. So here's my challenge. Is there anyone in your life that causes, or any situation in your life, that causes that anger, that resentment, that bitterness, that jealousy, that hatred, just to bubble up? And I'm going to ask you to do one of the hardest things you've ever done, but most important. You know what? It's time to forgive them. It's time to forgive them. Maybe you write them a note. Maybe you have a cup of coffee with them. Maybe you send an email. It's time to forgive. You say, well, wait a minute. They hurt me badly. You don't know what they did to me. You're right, I don't. But I know this. Resentment and bitterness and anger will eat you alive. And you are letting, when we... When we don't forgive, we are allowing another person to keep us from being who God wants us to be and keep us from doing what God wants us to do. When I'm involved in bitterness or anger and I'm stewing and I'm thinking for hours, why did that person do that and here's what I'd like to do to them, I'm stalled spiritually. Hey, I let it go. When you forgive someone, you are not saying what you did was okay. What you did, you know, it didn't hurt. I was just pretending. You're saying, I can't judge you. And I release you to the judgment of God. You're going to have to stand before him. One day, you're going to stand before him and give an account. And I release you to that. Now, you probably shouldn't put that in your email on the forgiveness one, right? <laughs> but you know, you know that's going to happen. And when you forgive someone, man, that's when freedom starts. Don't let any person, no matter who that person is, don't let any person, don't let any circumstance keep you from being what God wants you to be. When you do that, when we, when we don't forgive, you know what we're really doing? We're putting that person as our God. Because we're serving that. Our emotions are tied to that. We're spending our energy there instead of spending our energy for love and worship and, and moving forward with God. So do what you need to do. 
to get rid of that. Because a believer doesn't keep doing that. A believer doesn't have a life patterned by that. The unbeliever does. All right, so John says, love one another. Here's what love doesn't look like. Here's what it doesn't act like. Here's what it doesn't feel like. But here's what it does act like and look like and feel like. His neg negative example was Cain. Who would be a good positive example? Look at verse 14. Sorry, look at verse 16. By this we know love. You want to know what love is? You know what it looks like and feels like? Just love one another. Man, that's too fuzzy for me. Just love one another. That's just soft and fuzzy. That's not what love is. John says, you want to know what love looks like and feels like and acts like and speaks like? By this we know love that he, who's he? Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. You want to know what love looks like? John says, just look at Jesus. Now, John is not saying that Jesus is a man and he was a martyr and he's just a good example of what it looks like to sacrifice for others. Not saying that. Remember, he's building his letter here. He's already told us that Jesus is God himself. Jesus is the light. When we walk in the light, we have fellowship with him. He's already told us that Jesus is our propitiation. Remember, John says that big word, propitiation. Jesus took on God's wrath for us so we didn't have to. And he's our advocate. He's the one who speaks to us, to the Father on behalf of us. He's God, and he's a great example of what true love really looks like. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for each other. Now, John says, that's the ultimate. I mean, if you had to die for each other, that'd be the ultimate, right? But most of us don't have to get to that place. Maybe we will. But we're not there now. So in the meantime, look at verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need... Yet closes his heart against him. The word means shuts the door. How does the love of God abide in him? John's asking this, how in the world? If someone says they're a believer, they've been resourced, and they see, by the way, that word see there is not a passing glance. You know, I barely saw something. Did that really happen or not? The word means something is right in our path, we observe it, we understand it, we get it, and we have the resources to do something about it, and we turn around and walk the other way, John says, how in the world would that be a demonstration of God's love? And look at verse 18. Little children, remember John the elder statesman, little children, let us not love in word and talk. Man, this is not about love God, love others. Let us not love in word or talk, but how? In deed and truth. He adds truth because you just don't go serve other people and then want everyone to applaud you. That's hypocrisy. This is about God. You do it in deed, but you also do it with the right heart. 
you do it in truth. All right, let's kind of, let's drill down on that a little bit. Love, demonstrated by action, starts in relationships. It starts in community. God has placed certain people in your life. Man, as I look over this group, I just think about the network of people throughout Pittsburgh, throughout the country, throughout the world. And God has placed those people in your life. Will you demonstrate the practical love of God to them by using your gifts, your resources, your time, your energy to show them that you love God, to meet a need that a person has. Sometimes it's a financial need. Sometimes it's a spiritual need. Sometimes it's a need of relationship. I don't know what the need of the person is. You do, and God does. But when you are involved in God's love, you're practically ministering to other people. Secondly, love, demonstrated by action, starts at home. Howard Hendricks, a professor of mine uh, back uh, in Dallas Seminary, used to say, if Christianity doesn't work at home, it doesn't work. And maybe your demonstration, your practical demonstration of love would be as basic as loading the dishwasher after dinner. Or as deep as tearfully asking forgiveness for inappropriate actions or hurtful words. Because if Christianity doesn't work at home, it doesn't work. How are you practically going to show love in your home? Third, love demonstrated by action is demonstrated in the church. Is demonstrated in the body of believers. John is writing to a local church. And he is saying that if you want to truly demonstrate what love looks like, you do it with each other. That's why it's so important to be involved in a local church. That's why a true Christian will not make a habit of church hopping. That's why a true Christian will not be here this week and there that next week and there that week like a smorgasbord. That's why a true Christian will immerse in a body of believers because how in the world can you show love for one another when there are no one another's? That's why the church is so critical. That's why it's important to serve. Are you using your gift to serve the church? No, no, Ron, you know, I, that, you know I'm too cool for the church. I serve in Pittsburgh. I serve in the city. 
I serve with a bunch of guys, you know, the big CEOs downtown in a Bible study. That's great you're in that Bible study, but God in his word doesn't say anything about a Bible study in Pittsburgh. God talks about the church, serving in the church. So if I was down and out and, I, and you said, hey, you know, man, I feel sorry for you. Come to my house. And I'm going to put you up and uh, I'm going to feed you. I mean, just come here and live. And so I, I did. And so I came to your house and the place where you put me up, man, it was a mess. I never made my bed. I never cleaned up. It was a mess. And every time you made this great meal for me, I ate it you know, real fast, and, you know, just got it, wolfed it down, and then I said, hey, I got to go, and I got other stuff to do, and I didn't even take my plate from the table. What would you think of me after a while? Pretty un ungrateful. You may think some bad things about me. Well, a lot of people treat, chur treat church like that. Let me come. Let me, let me, let me, give me the food, man. Nourish me. Give me some good songs, songs I want, at the tune I want, at the pace I want, and, and give a good sermon and feed me, but I'm going to go serve somewhere else. Now, you, now marry my kids, because you need to do that. We pay you to do that, by the way. And, and when I die, bury me, right? But I'm serving someplace else. It doesn't work like that. Should you serve other places? Yeah, but this is the body. When, when, when you read in Scripture, love one another, it's talking about other believers in the local body in which you serve. Are you serving? Are you giving? I got to tell you, this is family time, right? No, no guests here today? If you're a guest, just go on your iPhone or something. <laughs> I didn't mean that. I was just kidding. It's not very welcoming, is it? When I look at our budget, a conservative budget this year, and see how far we're behind, I think, what in the world? Now, I don't know who gives what, but I'm not as dumb as I look. I see what people drive. I see where people live. Not this house, but two or three. Hey, time out. Why would we be behind in our budget? Why would we not have enough money to do the things we need to do? So you get to check that out in your heart. Now, if you've got an issue with something going on here, then let's just come and talk. I'm not asking you if you've been giving or not. I, I do not know. But if you've got an issue here and you're saying, hey, you know what, we're going to settle this out before we want to invest here, then come and talk. My email is rmore at biblechapel.org. But for goodness sake, you're not robbing the church. You're robbing the Lord. Read the book of Malachi. We get all these things for ourselves. God says, I've resourced you. There are people in need. He's right in front of you. You understand it. You observe it. Why won't you respond? How about serving? Where are you going to serve? The body. I, I get it. You're too cool for the church. Your other ministries, and you starting all these ministries. That's great, but this is the body. Where are you going to serve?
So raise your hand if you have gone through Living Grounded. Okay, that's pretty cool. Look around. Okay, don't raise your hand this time. Someone, if you raised your hand, someone took time to invest in your life. They sacrificed, they studied, they showed up, and they invested in your life. Here's the second question. How many of you have invested in another person's life by taking them through Living Grounded? Hmm. We love people to invest in our lives, don't we? Where are you serving? You say, oh, my gifts are not teaching or taking someone through Living Ground. Fine. Find a place to serve. Use your gift. Every person has a gift and should use it to serve others. Now, every time I say this, here's what happens. Those of you who love to serve come up and say, I had someone come up the first service. I, I, I serve all the time in Washington. Should I be serving here too? People who serve want to say, oh, man, I got to serve. I'm serving 15 places, but I'm guilty. I should be serving 17 places. You just tune out for right now, right? You should only be serving one first. But some of you, and you know who you are, you have your you have inside, you have your arms crossed, and you say, how dare you challenge me to serve? You don't know how busy I am. You don't know what's going on in my life. I'll continue to come, and I'll continue to eat, and walk away without cleaning my plate. And you've got to work with God on that. Because he calls you to serve in the church. Where are you using your gift to serve? If you would like to take someone to a living ground, and I want you to write down this name, Greg DeVore. G, this is the email, G, uh, help me out, G-D-E-V-O-R-E, at BibleChapel.org. Uh, G-D-E-V-O-R-E at BibleChapel.org. And he'll give you, he'll train you. He'll go one-on-one or couple-on-couple or one-on-few or if you have the gift of teaching, a group. He'll give you everything you need. But are you willing to invest in life of another person? C.S. Lewis said this, It is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving no one in particular. That's true, isn't it? I just love everybody. I love one another. Well, give me, we'll prove it. Loving everybody may be an excuse for really loving nobody. So the theme of this passage is very clear. John said, man, you heard it from the beginning, from the very first baby steps of your spiritual life. This is the message you heard from the beginning that you should, say it with me, love one another. 
And then John says in verse 18, let's just, it's on the screen, let's just read it together. You ready? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but what? Deed and truth. You know what John says? Put your money where your mouth is, believers. You're a believer? Prove it. Worship team's going to come out and, and sing a, a song. It's been around for a long time. But uh, it talks about, you know, if we, if we sing all these songs, if we come and raise our hands and sing all these songs, and, and don't have love, it's a show. And if we talk a lot and don't have love, it's empty. But the song's chorus says, let my life be the proof of your love. Let my life be the proof of your love. Father, that's our prayer as we hear these words and as we join in to sing. Let our life be the proof of your love. Let us demonstrate practically, tangibly, hands-on demonstration of this command to love one another. That's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. If I sing but don't have love, I waste my breath with every song I bring. An empty voice, a hollow noise If I speak with a silver tongue Convince a crowd don't have love I leave a bitter taste With every word I say So let my life be the proof The proof of your love Let my love look like you And watch your name how you lived, how you died, love a sacrifice. So let my life be the proof, the proof of your love. You guys, please stand with us and sing. If I give. To a needy soul, but don't have love, then who is poor? It seems all the poverty is found in me. So let my life be the proof, the proof of your love. Let my love look like you and what you made of. How you lived, how you died, love is sacrifice. The proof, 
the proof of your love let my love look like you and what you made of how you lived how you died love is sacrifice so let my life be the proof the proof of your So two things before you leave. One, who or what is holding you back from the life that God wants you to live? You got to forgive it. You got to move on. Forget doesn't mean forgive doesn't mean forget. But forgive means, man, I am giving that to God and I'm not going to let that define me. I am not going to let that hold me back from being what God wants me to be. So that's number one. Secondly, you say you're a believer? You say you're a follower of Jesus? Prove it. How would you prove it? To John, the writer of the epistle, who looks us in the eye and say, here's the deal. When God is within you, you love one another. Father, be with us as we go. We walk out into a world that opposes you. That's why you said in this darkness, we're the light. And we're to let our light shine in such a way that people will see it and they'll be attracted to you. You use us to bring people to yourself. What an amazing truth. So let our life this week be the proof of your love. Be with us as we go do that in Christ's name. Amen.